Welcome to this week in Missouri Politics from the state capitol. We're joined by the senator from tax cuts, but really gubernatorial candidate, Bill Eichel. Welcome back to the show. Scott, thanks for having me. Start off, how's the campaign going? Uh, it's going great. I have been crisscrossing the state for uh, the past 90 days now. Yeah. I've, I've put about 17,000 miles on my truck. So uh, it's been an interesting experience. I've been to places I've never been before. Uh, I've met people I've never met before, and we've got a message that we're, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. What's a place that you've been surprised you enjoyed that you've been? Uh, I have been, so I've been to Cape Girardeau four times. Yeah. And I, I started uh, reaching out to folks down there in Cape Girardeau and have had a very good response. You know, they have a concern about uh, the World Economic Forum that's uh, come and set up a chapter in their area going after farmland. Uh, this is a pretty big issue. It's one of the things I've been talking about, but it has been, uh, it's been a real journey for me so far. And as you know, we're just at the start of it. The interesting thing I've seen that you've done differently than other campaigns, I've noticed your online presence. Mm -hmm. I think you probably, I mean, uh, Lieutenant Governor Keogh, Secretary Ashcroft, your online presence is something you're really leaning into. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw in your report, it's led to some fundraising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, if you look at our, our fundraising reports, I think it reflects the uh, passion and movement we're starting to see as we travel around the state. I mean, last quarter, uh, we had almost 700 donors to my campaign. That was more than uh, both of the other candidates combined. If you look at just in the first month of this quarter, we've gotten over 2,000 donors to wow. our campaign. So if you look at that actually matches up with our digital presence. And by the way, Scott, this is precisely what I did back in 2016. Uh, as I had a message that uh, we were very, we leaned heavily into digital media space. You were space. not the favorite then either. Uh, we had a lot of folks telling me I couldn't win back in those days. Uh, we had no name ID back in those days, and we started from a zero, uh, zero dollar bank balance back in those days. So <laughs> it was uh, it was a hard fight. Uh, it was a long discussion that we had with the people of St. Charles County, but we're seeing a lot of those same dynamics take place now. So this is the question I think is on everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. If you're in this race to be governor, well, you're a top-tier candidate. However, most of the time, I guess the, the former governor from Laclede County, the last one I can think of, went from the Senate to the governor's office. There's a path for Missouri governors. It usually means you go to a different office here on the second floor somewhere, the first floor. You could run for lieutenant governor or secretary of state, and you're immediately the front-running candidate. Probably you would have a, a primary, and everybody does, but probably not even a serious primary. Instead, you chose to run for governor. Are you in this race to the end? Is there a chance that you assess it Look over the cliff and be like, you know what, I think I'd rather take one of these smaller offices would be easier for me to do. Mm -hmm. Are you in this race for governor? Well, we're doing everything right now to build the infrastructure for a run for governor. And I would tell you the reason I'm focused on that position is because I really think amongst all the statewide positions, the governor's office is the only one that can really change the trajectory of the state. You know, I think we ought to be up there in terms of prosperousness with the, the Texases and the Floridas of the world. When you turn on your TV at night, don't get me wrong, I love hearing about all the great things that Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida, but we ought to have those victories here. We ought to have those wins here. When I, get, when I travel around the state, I'm getting feedback from actual Republican voters that say, you know, we have higher expectations for what we think the Republican Party ought to be accomplishing down there in Jefferson City. We haven't really exceeded those. So uh, that's what I'm focused on right now. Now, a decision point obviously is going to have to be made, but that's not going to be based on uh, necessarily what Bill Eigel thinks or even what the, the powerful folks here in Jefferson City think. It's going to be determined by the actual voters who are giving me feedback every single day about whether or not they think I'm qualified for that position. So far in the first 90 days, we've gotten an incredibly positive response. So we're going to keep working. Well, let's talk about hypothetically if you did move across in this office right down the hall here. You, uh, you've heard seven state of the state speeches now. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there, you're running for governor. Mm -hmm. if, it, if it goes well, 
one after next will be you giving it. Mm -hmm. What would it say of the state speech from Governor Bill Idle sound like? We'll be talking about actually doing what we said we were going to do in campaign season, which is actually shrinking and limiting the size and scope of government. Unfortunately, for all seven of those speeches I've now heard, they've included mass increases in the size of government. You know, our state budget was $20 billion in 2010. The governor's calling for a $53 billion budget today. And as a result of that big budget, we're more dependent on the federal government than we ever have been before, which yeah. makes it more difficult for the state to push back against bad ideas, whether it's coming from Joe Biden, whether it's coming from Barack Obama, whoever it is, it puts the state into bad position. So I think you'd hear a message <coughs> that we're actually going to shrink the size of government. We're going to reduce the tax burden, and this tax burden that, you know, it's gotten to a point where it's, it's choking us slow, slowly. We, we barely even notice anymore. So is there a point with federal money? A lot of people talk about the schools, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff the schools do mm -hmm. that most people in this building don't like mm -hmm. are kind of dancing to the tune of the federal government mm -hmm. for significant money that they right. need to keep a bus running, to keep class sizes down. At what point do you say, okay, maybe you can keep some of that money. We're going to cut some of this extra. It, it feels like in education, you might be getting close to the point of, is it worth it? Uh, I think we're already past that point. And, and what I have found, there's a common misunderstanding that more money will produce better outcomes. But what we're seeing, government doesn't really work that way. Government, just because you throw more money at a particular problem that government's having, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get better outcomes. In fact, education is a perfect example. Every year I've been in the Senate, we have spent more money on education, public education in the state, and yet the outcomes we're seeing from public education, the number of kids that can proficiently do math at grade level or read and write at grade level has been dropping since we first arrived. So more money is not necessarily a solution. Reforming the broken institutions, you know, a lot of our public school systems are dealing with a level of bureaucracy and uh, authoritarian control from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education that prevents them, in many cases, from hiring qualified teachers, from doing a lot of the things that local school boards want to do. So maybe the answer is reforming part of the bureaucracy in Jefferson City. Let's talk brass tacks. Mm -hmm. Francis Howe, let's say they have 25 kids per class. Mm -hmm. If you give up that money, at some point, you're going to have 28 kids per class. Is that worth it? I mean, the rubber, you could do more with less, but not really. The old Republican three-step of waste, fraud, and abuse. It, it's, it's one thing that, that happens all the time. It doesn't change much. At some point, are, is it okay, bigger class sizes worth not having to do the federal requirements? Because there is a, there is a, where, there's a point where you need that money. Well, there is a point, but we're so far beyond that point. I mean, adjusted for inflation, we've got more money going into our schools than we've ever had before. Adjusted for inflation. I know, I know the costs are high, but adjusted for inflation. So to use the example of, of Francis Howe, you know, a lot of times in order to implement all those federal regulations and mandates actually costs more money than what we're getting from the federal government in the first place. And let's not forget, the federal government got all that money either from us in the first place or, yeah. or borrowing and yeah. printing that money, which is making us vulnerable as a sovereign state in the future. So we have always, as Republicans, I'll, I'll tell you this, Republicans win elections when they're accurately viewed as the reformers of broken government. And right now, a lot of times, I think the biggest difference between the Republican and the Democratic parties today is that they're simply focused on different broken government institutions. So my candidacy and possibility that I might be Missouri's next governor is the idea that I'm going to be the reformer that's going to go in there, reduce government where we don't need it, do the things that we said we were going to do, and restore some of that tax dollar to a free market in Missouri that's stagnated. You look at our population, our businesses, they're desperate for employees because employees are moving to other states like Florida, like Texas, like Tennessee. I want them to move here. We should be the leader of this country. It's a hard argument to make that we're going to reform a broken state government when you'd be the governor of the third decade of Republican control.
I have, uh, as I said when we first started this interview, uh, I don't have to tell folks that part of the responsibility lies in the Republican Party. I'm already hearing that from the Republican primary voters that I'm talking to as I travel around the state. I mean, there, Jay Nixon left a long time ago. He, he, he absolutely did it. And as, as you said, you know, if you look at that, or as I said, if you look at that budget, we've grown the budget more in the six years where we've had supermajority control of the legislature in the governor's mansion than in all the years the Democrats held the governor's mansion in the state of Missouri. Think about that. That doesn't, that doesn't jive with the message that we're putting out to Republican primary voters in campaign season. And that is why on election day a couple months ago when folks were expecting a red wave, that's why a lot of those voters decided not to show up because they're losing confidence that Republican leaders are going to they're going to actually do what they're promising that they will do in campaign season. There is something you've banged the drum on since I met you. That's property taxes. Mm -hmm. Last year, because of some COVID, well, because used cars mm -hmm. are worth more, everybody got hit on their property taxes. I mean, right. just walloped. You got to feel like your ships come in a little bit, right? Well, we've gotten more attention on that issue than I think I've ever seen before while I've been in the state Senate, which I think is good because I think it's creating a public narrative and a public interest in this. Uh, not that the public wasn't interested before, but after opening up those bills over the past 60 days, the pressure is being applied to this building to do something. I'm pretty confident that we are going to get something done. What does that final project look like? Well, I think, as you know, I want to get rid of personal property tax. I mean, we're only in the minority of states that has the tax in the first place. And that hammers, especially when it's a high rate of tax, that hammers those working and middle class income what households. Dog and hogs, dogs and logs. Mm -hmm. If you're going to cut that out, you got to replace it with something or you got to cut something. What do you do? Well, first of all, I don't think that we need to replace it with something adjusted for inflation. Every one of those local taxing jurisdictions that get personal property tax have never had more money than they've had right now. They've never had it. Adjusted for inflation. But so if, I, they, if they're paid by local property tax and they don't have any money, they have no money. Well, uh, so personal property tax is just a fraction of the money that they get. Uh, they get money from the state. They get money from regular property taxes. So we can, we can imitate the policies of 29 other states that have gotten rid of personal property tax, that have stopped charging you rent every December 1st for just for owning a car. We can do that too. And the fact that we haven't done that, that's one of the many reasons why Missouri's stagnating. It is really something too. You talk about somebody that's early in their career, they're done on their luck. And in Missouri, you have to have a vehicle to get to work. Mm -hmm. There's no subway in Poplar Bluff. Right. It is something that if, you, if, you, if your heart was to help working people who mm -hmm. are poor, that actually does help them. And if you've got, you know, a lake house, and you pay property tax on the house. Correct. They don't have a lake house. They probably have an apartment. And right. that is a real way you cut a tax on somebody that probably could use it. I mean, think about the areas of our state that are most economically challenged. The Boot Hill yep. area, St. Louis City. These are the areas where if we made it easier to own a car that folks need to get to work every day by eliminating a tax that could be three or $400 that they've got to come out of pocket with on December 1st. Wow, that would be a great, that's, that's part of the future of Missouri that I'm talking about as I go around the state that's better than the version we're living in today. That's why I think people, another reason when we saw that red wave that didn't come in, uh, it wasn't so much that people weren't upset. It wasn't so much that people were thinking that Joe Biden and the Democrats were doing a good job. It was our failure to say, yes, things are wrong, but where are we going to go from here? I'll tell you what, for the state of Missouri, we're going to lower that tax burden. We're going to get rid of personal property tax. We're going to get rid of the power of the special interests in Jefferson City that are using the power and the money of the people to benefit themselves. We're going to take our place. We are going to take our place amongst the most prosperous states 
in these United States, and we are going to be a leader for this country, and people are going to turn their TV on at night, and they're going to be hearing about the things that Missouri's doing, and Ron DeSantis is going to be wondering what he can do to imitate the good ideas that are happening in the Show Me State. Uh, I can tell you've been giving the speech a little bit. <laughs> uh, before, that, before you go, uh, you got a lot of new senators. We do. A, lot, a lot of them you helped elect, frankly. Yeah. How are they doing? Uh, they're doing great. Uh, you know what? I, I, I know I've been on your show before, and we probably talked at length about some of the struggles that the Senate has had with its leadership mm -hmm. team and amongst the individual senators. I want to I give a shout out. I think our new leadership team has been doing uh, very well so far. And I have had uh, in-person meetings with uh, Senator Rowden and Senator Laughlin every week. And we've talked about the ways, how are we going to empower all 24 Republicans in that chamber to get their priorities over the finish line? And they have not only said the right things, uh, they have done the right things so far. Now, this is a dance that doesn't end today. This is a dance that's going to well, go on for a few more months. I referrals, went to some committees that, that I bet you didn't have a problem with. And mm -hmm. I was, uh, I, I, it, it appeared as though the things that could be done mm -hmm. have been done to try to work together. So far, so good. I think that's why you've seen uh, a, a more positive environment in the Senate. That being said, we've got a long way to go. It we've got many issues uh, that are going to get a hiccup or, or have something go wrong. And, you know, uh, Caleb and Cindy uh, have their work cut out for them. But so far, so good. You had to be called the junior senator from St. Charles for six years. <laughs> There's a, a new colleague of yours that's going to have that uh, derisive comment for two years to deal with. <laughs> How's Nick Shore doing? Uh, Nick's doing great. Uh, obviously, we have a, a lot of overlap on policy, but as a fellow St. Charles Senator, and by the way, don't forget Travis Fitzwater, who also represents part of St. Charles County now. I, I think both of those guys are going to be very good voices in the Senate. A lot of uh, political talent with Nick in there. They have great relationships, uh, and I think they're going to be great senators to work with. We're going to get a lot of good things done. Senator? Thank you for joining us. I hope as uh, the campaign unfolds, for sure, you'll come back and talk about it with us on this week in Missouri politics. You bet, Scott. We'll be right back with Jamie Berger. But first, go to showmissouri.com. This is Missouri One County Time. We went down to St. Francois County, talked to Kevin Angler and a ton of folks at the St. Francis County Courthouse. Everything history of St. Francis County. Showmissouri.com. This is Missouri One County Time. We'll be right back after this. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right-to-work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. Reach your audience with Outreach Studios. Studio 17 offers 1,000 square feet of customizable space that can accommodate roundtable discussions, podcasts, live stream content, and much more. For a different look, we offer View 17. This one-of-a-kind event center is fully wired for broadcast and is perfect for corporate or commercial content. With Outreach Studios, the opportunities are endless. Elevate your message, your brand, and your expectations with Outreach Studios. Data captured by our state-of-the-art monitors helps us pinpoint the timing and location of severe weather more accurately and respond to trouble more quickly. Hammering Missouri's investment in smart technologies like this is one way we're improving reliability and restoring power faster than ever. Responding to trouble before trouble hits. That's energy at work. Hammering Missouri. Welcome back to this week of Missouri Politics from the State Capitol and Jeff City. We're joined by our opinion maker panel for the first time on the show. Representative Mark Sharp from Kansas City. Sir, welcome to the show. 
the ever popular in Springfield, Betsy Vogel. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. The queen of Missouri Republicans, Pat Thomas. Thank you for joining us. And from back home, Jamie Berger from the Boot Hill. Thank you, sir, for making the time. Always enjoyable. Always all, enjoyable. All right. So uh, right now, the state of Missouri elects supermajorities of Republicans, Republicans everywhere. But on these ballot initiatives, they frequently vote for things that Republicans won't pass. So you're going to make it a little harder to get on the ballot, right? What did the House settle on as a way to make it a little harder to get on the ballot? What the House passed today was give the voters the opportunity to vote themselves to see if they want to put it at 60% for ballot initiatives to pass. So right now, if, if you want to go to the ballot, you just got to win a 50 plus one, right? 50 plus one. So right now, you, you'd move it to 60. Move it to Which 60. would be significantly harder, right? Yeah, and we'll see what comes out of the Senate because most of the ballot measures that have passed have been in the low 50s, 52, 53, 54. So 60 may not be the number, final number when it comes out of the Senate, so we will see. Uh, but it gives the voters of Missouri the opportunity to vote to see if we change the ballot initiative. President Vogel, I assume that's not your preferred way to do this, right? No, absolutely not. Couldn't pay me enough uh, to vote for someone who took away my power in this building. But let me ask you this. Is it not maybe a little too easy to, to pass something through a referendum? I don't think so. I mean, it, it requires a lot of resources, a lot of time, and a lot of effort to get something done. And when you look at the history of the initiative petition process, both sides have used it to their advantage when sure. they're not in the majority. And, you know, I have faith that the, the, the pendulum will swing back to my side of the aisle, and I think then individuals will be upset that they change the IP process when they're not able to accomplish what they want. Well, you're giving the best argument. I, like regular people, this is one of those things. I doubt people come up to you when you're knocking on their door asking for their vote and say, what about the initiative petition process? It is one of those things that, that, that matters a lot. But I think folks generally have liked the things they passed at the ballot box to the extent they care, right? It sure seems that way, Scott. Uh, this bill or this House uh, joint resolution that we passed today, uh, you know, it's going to get some real bad optics, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, the Missouri House is going to be looked at probably in not such a good light after we pass this legislation today. 60% um, is better than what the uh, original version I had, uh, that, that we had, was I believe was two-thirds. So that's, that's a step in the right direction. But I, I, think, I think you're going to see a lot of organizing uh, if this passes for, for it to be defeated. Pat Thomas, it, it felt a little bit like um, a debate that wouldn't have a lot of impact because let's say the legislature passes something. There's some groups led by the realtors that said, well, okay, we're, we're pretty good at politics. We're just going to go beat it, right? I mean, is, the, the final impact may not even be that much on, on what a citizen would realize. Well, first off, I think it's important that we protect the people's right to have a say in their constitution and their state statute. How we get there, I think, is up to 197 people, and they all have a different version of how we need to, to change this or alter this. What we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is more and more these ballot initiatives are being bought by millionaires. And I think that's everybody's concern is that the original intent was to allow average citizens to get something to the ballot box and on the and on the ballot. And we're not there now. Jamie Berger, an average citizen, though, can't go get all these signatures. One thing that's always stuck out to me, it feels like it should, for the Constitution specifically, it should be a little harder, but not impossible. But right now, folks that live in your district, folks that live in West Butler County, Folks that live up in Putman County, nobody asked for their signature. This whole system is designed to disenfranchise North and Southeast Missouri. I, I think so too. You know, I think the ballot signatures probably come out of the urban areas mostly, sure. without a doubt. 
There's so much outside money coming into Missouri to influence the way we think, the way we live, the way we're moving forward. And I, I think this addresses that to an extent. I like to. You give an old boy in East Prairie, a guy comes to him coming out of the grocery store, trying <laughs> to get you to sign something from the government, give your address. He ain't going to be just real willing no, to do that. No, he's not going to be real conducive uh, to that. Is it not sure. if it's going to be everyone's constitution? Shouldn't you have to get signatures from every congressional district? Oh, I, I, think, we, I think we should have to. Uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that. I think the biggest thing, though, too, we as we sit here as legislators, too, some things we don't want to address, we need to address at times. Sure. Uh, Sometimes we're pretty passive about some issues that are hard, uh, high topic issues. I think we have to be more focused on what we need to do to address those things. And maybe that would curb some of these initiative petitions also. Representative Volga, this process was designed to ignore the first congressional district and the fifth. I think you have a problem with that. Yeah, so I think everyone's made good points related to this, and I hear you, and that is actually something I'd be open to debating. That's not what we debated today, and we also didn't debate anything related to money being able to come in and buy campaigns or because buy initiative petitions. Yeah, so if you want to address that problem, I'm at the table, and I'll have those conversations. What we did today did not accomplish those goals. Prediction time. Does something go to the ballot in 2024 to address the initiative petition constitution process? Yes. What do you think? Yes. Yes. Now, what is that? What is that final number going to be? Fifty-five, sixty. It seems like there's room to tweak, but you go for the whole thing. It's going to be tough to get through. Uh, maybe it, it being lowered from sixty uh, may sound good, but I don't have a lot of confidence that we'll get there yet. If I wanted to, well, you're a, you're a policymaker of high regard. I'm a simple West Butler County hillbilly. But if I wanted to outlaw teaching the theory of relativity first. I'd probably have to call you and ask what that is. Mm -hmm. And then I would just outlaw it, right? Absolutely. I think the problem here is they want to outlaw things that offend them, right? I, I just outlaw CRT. I'm not sure that, that you couldn't pass it to the Senate in, in three or four hours. It feels like they want to say everything that offends them in the suburbs is CRT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, I hear a lot from colleagues that they don't want to get in the weeds on legislation. I think this is an example of that. It's in the weeds to define what critical race theory is, but you can't. Uh, you can't ban something if you don't know what you're talking about, if you can't define it. And it's hard to put into words just that feeling that you feel when you don't like something. And I think that's what we're seeing from some members in the Senate who just don't like to feel a certain way but can't really articulate why. I listened to a lot of senators speak uh, this week about uh, their thoughts on this. And I heard some folks, some African-American senators, from, from your part of the state, actually, Senator Washington, I didn't hear her say she wouldn't be for some language not vote for it, but I think she could, she indicated she might be able to stomach some banning of, uh, of something real egregious. Right. But, but I think she had a problem with this. There's a lot of ambiguity in this bill. Well, not just that, but you know, as a former educator, Scott, you know, I've worked in rural districts, uh, not in this state, in Texas, but there are, there are school districts that don't even recognize Black History Month in schools. Uh, you would think that that's something that happens in every school district, but it, it just isn't. And if it's happening in Texas, it might very well be happening here in Missouri, too. Uh, I think right now uh, you just have a lot of people on my side of the aisle that just want our voices to be heard and want our lives uh, to be taught about. Um, and, and CRT, again, hasn't been defined you know, nearly well enough for us to be able to you know, ban it or what exactly are we banning? Uh, because most schools, uh, most school districts in urban areas, teachers are encouraged to talk about uh, some of these nuances uh, as much as possible um, so that our kids can be well equipped for uh, living in a, in a world that 
sometimes is, uh, can be challenging. You know, Jamie, in our, our neck of the woods, sometimes uh, we have some things to be proud of with racial relations, and we have some things to be ashamed of. I don't think that's wrong to tell folks that, you know, but I also think I don't personally know what a critical race theory is. But if I did know, it sounds like something I wouldn't want Gussie taught, but just ban that, right? Just ban that. The thing too, when we talk about Southeast Missouri, I don't know that we're having those issues. Of, I don't know that we're teaching critical race theory. And, and I don't know that I can define it myself completely. Uh, I think at some point in time for our schools, I like to get us back to the basics. I like to get us back to reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, history, uh, kind of take us to see where that takes us. You know, it worked for several decades and several years. Why not just well, return to you're an old boy that? from Columbia, you ain't got to worry about your kid going to a drag show if they're in math class. Right, you know, right. Kind of makes things easier. A exactly. And, uh, you know, when I talk to the superintendents from Southeast Missouri, and I talk to them on a pretty regular basis, our school systems seem to be operating okay. And, uh, and I read the Parents' Bill of Rights. There's some things I have issues with in there, too. Uh, I think sometimes we just need to allow our teachers to teach. That's what they want to do. I don't know that we can manage that from Jeff City. At the end of the day, it looked like there was a formal process by if you're offended, you can write the state and the school board has a hearing, I assume you could call your local school board and have that hearing anyway, right? Well, I think so too, you know, and most people that live in these smaller communities where I come from, everybody knows the school board members. A lot of them are married yeah. to them or a part of their family. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you don't like something that's going on, go and address it with the school board and take care of it from that issue. I think sometimes our outreach is just too far from Jeff City. Well, I think sometimes folks run for a state rep and they thought they were in for school board. Right. Exactly. I'll be disappointed. You know, sometimes I, I think when people sit in our seats uh, and not point fingers at anyone, but I think they think they get a whole lot smarter, and sometimes I don't think that's the case. <laughs> Give me a prediction. Uh, does something that, that does something to ban critical race theory pass this year? I don't think so. If Republicans can stay unified, I think something will pass. I think something passes dealing with this, right? I think they have to understand they have to get in the weeds, and I'm not sure how far in the weeds they can go. But to be fair, nobody goes more Republican events than you. But the ones I go to, I hear people talking about this they, legitimately. They want something, but even they can't define what they want. I, I've never really had somebody, I had somebody send me a link to that. And I was like, well, why don't you just copy and paste whatever this is and say that's bad, right? right. But I tend to think folks in the suburbs will complain about something else after this, right? Correct. Will this pass this year? I, I, don't, I don't think it will. I, I don't think it will. On that note, with a minute left, who won the week? Uh, not sure. Well, I'm not sure if we won. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we just passed this HCR, so it's, it's not a good week uh, for Democrats right now. So, Who won the week? I mean, the Chiefs is the easy answer, but I'm going to go one answer. further and say the city of Springfield because we renewed our Springfield Cardinals contract to mine. 2038, and I'm excited to, that they're going to call us home. That is awesome. Yeah. Big deal for Springfield. Who won the week? Senator Carla Esslinger, first bill out of the Missouri Senate this year. Right out of the gate, who won the week? M-I-Z-Z-O-U, two big wins this week. Yeah. We'll crack the top, top 25 this week. There's a great energy there too. I mean, great, I think uh, people are, especially in that building on that campus, people are feeling it. it. It's exciting. I was at the game last night. The student body was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever seen a time in your professional career, you've been around government a long time, mm -hmm. that Mizzou has ever been in as good a place, the reputation, the sports teams, the way they're viewed in the capital. Right. I think Moonjoy has Mizzou at the top if I've ever seen it. I agree. And, you know, I, I so like to listen to the coach on his interviews after the game. He's very uh, frank, uh, talks about where he wanted the team to be and, and where they're at. So it's, yeah. it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I am going to say, I'm going to piggyback on Ben. I'm going to say Mayor Ken McClure. 
big part of Springfield is that downtown Hammonds Field. Not only did they secure the, the, the Springfield Cardinals there for a long time to come, bought the stadium, brought it in-house. I think it's going to be a great addition, great improvements to Springfield. We hope you'll join us next week here on This Week in Missouri Politics. This Week in Missouri Politics is sponsored by the Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, Ameren, Spire, and Sterling Bank.